So this is Tuesday, Janmastami, that is Krishna's birthday. This is the day that is traditionally celebrated as the birthday of Krishna, and we're in the middle of Krishna's discourse to Arjuna, so it's appropriate today that we say happy birthday, Krishna. We could sing him a little happy birthday and light a candle for him later and, uh, you know, pay your respects. So this is a useful thing to do on this day. And remember, Krishna is an avatar, an incarnation of Vishnu. Vishnu is the preserver, preserver of the universe. So many different uh, forms, you know, mythology, uh, Ram and Krishna and, and various incarnations, all representing that which supports, which nourishes, which continues to uh, maintain the universe as it is. So this is, and this is of course, the expressive aspect of ultimate reality, higher consciousness. And so we are attuning ourselves with that all the time, hopefully, and we're in the process of learning about more effective ways to turn our attention in that direction and become more deeply, completely immersed and attuned with this reality. So we are continuing with, uh, with our discussion of the Gita, and we're in chapter 7, and around maybe verse 15 or 16, something like that. Let's see. Yeah, verse 16. <clears throat> And Krishna says, is talking to Arjuna, Krishna again, enlightened consciousness, supreme consciousness, talking to the seeking soul, ourself as an aspiration, with our aspiration to be fully spiritually awake. And, uh, and then so Arjuna represents this, the seeking soul represents us and represents our desire to move beyond limitation, suffering, challenge, and to wake up, to just reawaken to the essence, <clears throat> essence of what we are, to our true nature. So uh, Krishna Higher Consciousness says, there are four kinds of virtuous men and women who worship me, Arjuna. The man in distress, the man who seeks power, the man who seeks wisdom, and the sage. One in distress, the one who seeks power, the one who seeks wisdom, and the sage. And so we have um, we have these uh, different uh, places, these different uh, uh, situations, conditions that impel one to come to this awakening path, to be interested in what am I and what's really going on and what are these higher powers and how does all this work. And if we go back and look in the, the earliest texts that we have in the earliest times of mankind, there's always been a relationship with something, some power, some force, something outside, the attempt to come into harmony with that, to appease that or to relate to that. And so we see all the rituals and the ceremonies and the religions and the disciplines that all have an aspiration to kind of connect with something in order to have that something either 
assist us in some way, help us in some way, um, allow us allow us to understand what's happening and what's going on. And so, in ancient times, there there were individuals who prayed to gods of weather. So, when the crops weren't coming, they would say, "Well, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe there's something we can do to to plug in and you know to appease." whatever the power is that brings the rain. And so they would uh, create rituals, mantras, uh, you know, have the bonfires, do the dance, beat the drums, whatever it was. And when they finally came across something and started to rain, they would go, ah, maybe we're onto something here. And then they would go back and they would repeat this. And if it happened often enough that what they were doing was in conjunction with something that was appeasing, uh, and it was fulfilling, then, you know, this would become a ritual. This would become something that was regularly done. So, but always, you know, praying to gods of war and gods of commerce and all these things outside in order to have a better life, in order to either be, you know, uh, feel better, to be healed, to have more prosperity, to have more power, to have better crops, something. And so there was this constant, this, this innate tendency, this innate um, urge to want to connect with something. There's a sense that, that there is this power, there's something happening, and somehow we can plug into it, we connect with it. And so Krishna is saying, basically, the, the people come to him, individuals come to this higher consciousness, are interested in this from four uh, in four ways, and the first is distress, suffering. So many people come to the spiritual path out of suffering. They, they things are not working. They are either they either need healing, so physically they're suffering, mentally they're suffering, emotionally they're suffering. Things are not working. They can't quite figure out, you know, how to get their life together. Their prosperity consciousness is not working, so they're constantly impoverished. Uh, their their <clears throat> relationship skills are very poor, so they're constantly being um, disrespected and disregarded. And or there's just a, you know, just the basic uh, physical challenges. So, so we come from suffering say there's some a lack i have a great lack and we pray to we aspire to some connection that will help uh, solve and relieve our suffering so so many individuals come to the spiritual path and you know and on this quest for awakening to be able to get their life in order to be able to feel better so this is you know, this is the, one of the basic foundational things that bring a lot of people to the path. The second is the man who seeks power or woman. Don't want to leave out the, the better half. So the men or the women who are seeking power, they want more. They want to be in control. They want to have money. They want wealth, things. They want to be able to manipulate the world in some way. They want to be controlling. And so, and of course, this is kind of the, this is kind of the Arjuna, the third chakra is wanting to be exercising power, you know, strong self-will, fiery self-will. So, so some come to this path, not because they're suffering, 
because they're fine. They've got it kind of together and they know how things work, but they want more. They want, they want power. They want wealth. They want substance. They want stuff, respect. Um, and so, so some come and they engage in these practices and they're looking for what Patanjali calls the cities, that is these powers that come as a result of awakening. And we know that as we become more conscious, more mindful, more, more able to focus our attention, we can focus our attention on a task, on a project, on uh, moving toward a goal. We can focus our attention. We can be very effective. And when we learn to be very effective, we can achieve whatever we need to do. So we decide, I'm going to create this. I'm going to produce this. I'm going to be this thing. I'm going to learn how to, you know, whatever it is. Play a musical instrument, run a company, invest in the stock market. I'm going to do this. And, I, and so I focus my attention, become very intentional. And because I've because I'm able to not be distracted so easily because I'm able to stay on point, I can be effective and I can accomplish my goals. And as I learn to accomplish my goals, I take on more and I become, and I learn to exercise and move more power, more energy, more money, more stuff. And so some come to this path of awakening out of this need for power, for control. And and it serves them as well. And then there are some, uh, the next class, who come for wisdom, knowledge, information. And so we want to know. We want to know what's happening. How does this work? Figure it out. Allow the intellect, uh, understanding to come to play. And really get, get down to the nitty-gritty. How, you know, how is the whole universe woven together? These processes. And so... So some are, some are coming for uh, for knowledge and wisdom and understanding, and so this is another another uh, something that impels individuals to come to the spiritual path, and and of course if we're seeking knowledge and seeking wisdom, then we and and with focused attention, then we find that we have more and more information, more knowledge. We can acquire more. We can train our mind to be to, to be able to remember and to be more discerning and discriminating. And so we can increase our wisdom through these practices. The fourth kind is the sage. And the sage is the one that is not looking for anything except realization. Not trying to become wise and have lots of information and impress people. It's not trying to accumulate power and be able to manipulate the world or push things around and feel more secure as a result. It's not coming because there's something wrong and suffering and we're begging for some intervention because our life is so miserable. None of those. The sage comes to wake up, comes to Krishna, comes to higher consciousness for its own sake. And so he goes on and says, of these four, the sage is the most praiseworthy, an attached, steadfast, that person is supremely beloved by me as I am by him. So, 
So we come into this relationship with our own higher consciousness by having that be the most important thing. That's our motivation. We're not looking to get anything out of this. We're not looking to be smarter, to be able to impress people, or to be able to, you know, remember huge amounts of information. Remember, I, I met this folk, this fellow in, uh, in Puri, uh, right outside the Jagannath Temple, uh, major, major temple in, in, in India. And, and I was, uh, I was actually looking, shopping for a pair of sandals. I wanted some, you know, some lighter sandals for running around. It's really hot. And, um, and so I'm shopping, shopping for sandals. And it turns out that Indians all are a little bit smaller than Ron's and Ron's not that big, but the Indians are smaller. So I couldn't find a pair of sandals to fit my feet. They were all too small. And, we happened to meet this fellow and his wife, beautiful guy, probably close to 80. And, uh, and for some reason, we just saw each other and, and there, there was this kind of little spark and said, hello, and where are you from? And, and the next thing I knew, I was asking him if he was local and if he could point me to some place to get sandals. And the next thing I know, we're sitting talking and he's explaining to me that he is uh, one of the people that goes to this Jagannath temple and recites the Bhagavad Gita. And he recites the Bhagavad Gita from memory. He's memorized the entire thing and he goes and sits and chants the Gita at the temple. Amazing. And he was such, you know, such a sweet, sweet guy. So it's possible to have this knowledge, this information and to have wisdom and understanding about it. But we have, we have all seen people who uh, have some degree of wisdom and, and lots of information and lots of knowledge, but they're not enlightened. They're not, they're not fully clear. They're not fully conscious. They still have some little places where they're kind of stuck and where they don't really get the picture, you know? So, so having, just having wisdom and having knowledge is not enough. What is enough is to be fully awake. And when we're fully awake, we can, we can have knowledge and wisdom. We can use that. We can exercise whatever power we need to exercise in order to live and to accomplish our purposes. And if our purposes are, are large purposes, if we have a major role to play, then we may need money and we may need things, and that's fine. There's no problem with that. But the motivation is not coming from a sense of lack and a need, but rather from a higher consciousness, we come from a point of already having what we need and, and being uh, inspired to take whatever resources are necessary in order to continue with our mission, whatever that happens to be, whatever our contribution is. So, so Krishna is saying, that person is supremely beloved by me as I am by him. We are connected with, in love with higher consciousness. Higher consciousness is totally supportive of us all the time. All these, he's talking about now the, the four kinds of virtuous people, the 
person in distress, the person who seeks power, the person who seeks wisdom and the sage. All of these are noble-minded, but the sage is my very self. Calm, untroubled, he dwells in the ultimate goal, in me. Calm, untroubled, he dwells in the ultimate goal, in me, in higher consciousness, residing in this place all the time, see? Calm and unaffected. I remember Yogananda talking, and he was kind of, you know, very gregarious and outgoing and, and, you know, a great orator. And he said, a yogi stands firm amongst the crash of bursting worlds. So no matter what's happening, being calm, untroubled, always conscious. At the end of his many lives, the sage unites with me, thinking Krishna, consciousness, is all that is. Great souls like this are rare. Great souls like this are rare. But just because great souls like this are rare doesn't mean that you're not one of them. People who come, you know, we have, uh, what's, what's the current count? 7.8 billion people on the planet. 7.8 billion people. So there are 19 of us in this meeting. So I would say that we're probably, probably part of this rare group. And we can continue to aspire to be fully awake and realize this. We can be one of those great souls that are fully awake, united with consciousness, with Krishna at all times. We can do this. He goes on and says, people whose wisdom is darkened by desires, who are hemmed in by the limits of their own natures, they take refuge in other gods. So, whose wisdom is darkened by desires, who are hemmed in by the limits of their own natures, they take refuge in other gods. So, what are these limitations, these ideas of separation, these ideas of I can't do this, I'm not good enough. Uh, I don't have the resources. I didn't get the right genetic code. You know, my DNA is lacking and we haven't figured out how to fix that yet. And so, so I, I feel limited. I come from this limited consciousness, this limited place. And so what are the other gods? Well, form and fate, fortune and fame. So, I'm, I'm addicted to, I'm attached to, my attention is flowing to, I am loving the idea of being famous, of having people appreciate who I am, what I do, getting my name out there. And it doesn't mean necessarily, you know, having to be the number one uh, chart buster on the music scale or something, or, or being the next superstar athlete. It just means, you know, I really want to be respected. So I'm working really hard for people to like me. This is fame. Or maybe, you know, one of those folks whose parents told them, oh, you'll never amount to anything. You're lazy. Get up and get to work. You know, you'll never amount to anything. And this gets programmed in the subconscious. And so here's someone who's constantly trying to prove something to mom or dad or 
or you know become something so so there's this attachment this flowing of attention to try and become famous this is a god this is this is what's important to us what we pay attention to we send our life force our energy goes into and so we are worshiping you know very literally we are worshiping with our attention with our prana our life force whatever we, whatever is around us whatever is important you can ask yourself what's important you know what's the what's the most important thing i do if i have to start cutting out you know uh actions or activities or you know whatever i'm doing if i start to start to winnow that down what stays what's the most important thing what comes first with me what's my priority because our priorities these are our gods this is what we're worshiping this is what how we're paying our life you know we're giving our life to these situations uh some gods are material so they, you know again we talked about this um some individuals just want money they just want you know the money and the power and the things that come with this and i've known very i've had some very uh, close associates that were just totally obsessed this was the only thing that they lived for this is the only thing that they thought about it was all about you know what's in it for me and how much can we make off of this deal and how do we you know manipulate the forces around us to get some money get some you know money is basically a, a, an energy it's a, just a form of energy but how do we acquire how do we accumulate and for an individual like that there's never enough and so this money this substance is their god this is what they pay attention to this is what they worship this is how they spend their time they think about this all the time how can i create a situation to be able to acquire more see this is worshiping this is god and then some worship uh other gods uh, of god in form of gods and angels so they have this superstitious idea about personalities that are living out here somewhere in the universe and subtle realms and so they pray to them uh, you know as i said a little while ago we pray to the god of fire we pray to the god of the wind and the thunder and we pray to the god of war and we pray to this one and to that one we have this they have this idea of a personality out there that is listening it is this whole reality its whole function in the, in the universe is to just sit there and wait for us to be connecting and telling it what we need and then going through the right rituals in order to to appease the god in order to get our whatever our stuff is to to win the war to become prosperous to have better crops to be to you know have a baby whatever so we worship we think about these external things or the angels these beings who are surrounding us and helping us and taking care of us i remember the <laughs> i think it was i think it was the second talk that i did i i've told you my my uh, my first teacher arlie gaines was uh roy eugene davis's representative in california and had his regular study group so every tuesday night we would go to arlie's house and meditate together and study uh discuss uh, mr davis's books and uh and for 
for those who were regular, who came every week after week and after several months, uh, Arlie was a little bit like a, like a drill instructor, like a sergeant. And he, he would say, you're doing good. And you're meditating well. And it's time for you to go out and start teaching other people. And so, and, and, and we were very close. I spent a lot of time with Arlie. We did meditate every day together for lunch and, um, you know, had regular interactions and, and he didn't let up. I mean, he was like, you walk in the door and you kind of push you up against the wall and go, you ready? I've got the talk for you to do. So I think the second talk I did was for the seventh street spiritualist church in San Jose. And, and, you know, this was a completely new experience to me. I was going there to deliver a talk on meditation, basically how to meditate. And so I, you know, did the best I could. I stood up there and went through the kind of the basic routine. And, and uh, in my own little wobbly, young Ron way. And at the end of the service, these people came up to, all these people came up to me and they said, oh, that was so wonderful. And did you see the, the spirit guides that were standing around you when you were talking? You know, there was, and they started naming them. And, and I'm thinking, this is interesting. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I've fallen into a parallel reality or something because I don't see anything. And, and these people are with them. You know, this is very real. And so, so we have people who are, who relate to subtle realms and, there were, and relate to energies and things, and they personalize and create these external beings, external presences, whatever. And this becomes their God. This becomes what they're paying attention to, what they relate to, how they interact, where they spend their energy and their time, what they think about. So these are these, are these other external gods. And of course, some, for, uh, some as we said, uh, their God is power. They want to manipulate, be in control, be in charge, push things around. And of course, we see uh, in the world today, we have several, you know, many countries, unfortunately, many countries where these individuals have percolated to the top. So we have these very autocratic, very kind of power grabbing and manipulative individuals that are that are in, you know, in charge. And fortunately that'll be changing. Um, but we see this, see this and, and we know what their gods are. We know what they're paying attention to. And it is this control, this power. I am running things and I have the ability to tell everybody what to do and when to do it. And, you know, this is, this is another thing. Another God is to be able to increase our abilities. So we want to be more competent. We want to be better at, uh, you know, playing the guitar. I remember when I was, when I was learning to play the guitar, I think the second time I learned to play the guitar, I've done it several times and forget in between because <laughs> several years go by, but I can remember, you know, uh, times when I was just, I had that with me all the time. And when I it was in the car, when I would, you know, go out for a walk, I'd go down to the lake and I'd take my guitar and then I'd sit and play and practice and I would practice. And at night I would practice and I would practice. And, and it was like, this was 
that's the thing I was thinking about all the time, even though I'm doing lots of other stuff, but I'm thinking about, you know, the chords and the fingering and, and melodies and songs. And, and so we get into these spaces where this is where all of our attention, this is what we think about. We think about all the time. Remember Paramahansa Yogananda told Mr. Davis, he said, uh, read a little, meditate more and think of God all the time. Think of God all the time. Well, you can just do a little self, you know, self-assessment and ask yourself, well, what do I think about all the time? What do I, I mean, what's, what comes up for me when I'm not cooking and doing maintenance and cleaning and, you know, taking care of the responsibilities? What comes up? What am I thinking about? What, what do, demands my attention? What have I created that is now this God, you know, this thing that I am in, in relationship with? Um, and Mr. Davis goes on uh, and says also imaginary enlightened beings. So we have this idea about, um, you know, individuals, saints who are, have made their transition or on the other side and they are watching us and praying for us. And of course, even in our tradition, um, you know, we have people in, uh, who were devotees, disciples of Yogananda, who believed that Yogananda is is taking care of them, that they can pray directly to Yogananda and he will intercede on their behalf. And when things are not going well, it's because Yogananda is sending them the karma. They're sending, he's sending them this challenge so that they can learn and grow. And that everything is happening because of this personality this imaginary personality that is inter, interacting, interceding in your life in order to help you in the right direction. So, and of course, in the West, we have the, this Christian ideal, this Christian aspect that we're brought up with of Jesus. We can pray to Jesus. There is this presence, this being who is consciously watching what we do and making sure that we're on the right path if we stay connected. So we have this imaginary relationship with something, some personality outside of ourself that is somehow interacting, that can intercede, that can help, or that can punish us. You know, if they can help us, they can hurt us. Um, fortunately, if we're, if we're attuned with one of the imaginary enlightened beings in another realm, Hopefully they're the, the beneficial ones, the beneficent ones that are always helping and not the ones that are the Old Testament God who's out there hiding behind a cloud, you know, with the big long beard and he has a list and he's checking to see who's naughty and who's nice. Uh, so we know who to give presents to at Christmas time, you know, that uh, old world Santa Claus God, um, is not it's just not real it's great for you know telling stories to kids but even and roy would say it's not even nice it's not even fair to to tell these things to kids because they remember them and then they have to unlearn this foolishness so much better to be to be awake so so we don't want to be relating to and thinking about and allowing ourselves to drop back into that kind of um fundamentalist approach where we're looking at external forces there is no external force there is only the force 
There is only consciousness. There is only God. And it's not separate. It is everything, including you. You are it. Tat tuamasi. That thou art. See? No separation. So this is what we want to aspire to be more and more aware of. This is what we want to think about all the time. This is what we want for our God. And then finally, Roy says, uh, some people are just addicted to their, their God. What they look for is ecstatic states. And so we see there's a whole phenomenon now where individuals are really, uh, they really get into kirtan, chanting, and they'll spend a couple of hours chanting, chanting. Wonderful. Get really high. Emotions are running. And wow, it feels so good. And we're hanging out with our friends. And, you know, and so getting high instead of taking drugs, you know, instead of, uh, instead of being addicted to something that we have to pay, pay for substances, we just go and turn on our own endorphins, our own... Uh, endogenous morphine endorphins are that's that's the morphine that's the 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 high that we get from the chemicals that we produce within ourselves, and we can create circumstances we can create a condition that will allow us to turn on this and give us a hit you know to give us another uh ecstatic high and we feel really good and we're up and wow this is wonderful and then tomorrow, we you know, we're back to our own normal reality. And we remember how wonderful the high was of hanging out and chanting and playing. And so then we do it again and we do it again, you know. So this is, this is another place where we can get stuck. This becomes our reality. Um, and of course, you know, chanting and kirtan is wonderful. It's a, I mean, Yogananda said, this is the greatest, the, the strongest, the most powerful, the easiest way to get into meditation and to get into superconscious states, to get the mind to come clear very quickly. You know, you can wash the mind out really quick by just chanting for about five minutes, you know, or get your mala, get your prayer beads out and do a, do a mantra um, in five minutes, 10 minutes even, um, chant chant for five minutes, you know, Om Namah Shivaya, or Sri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram, Sri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram. And we can do that for just five minutes. We don't, doesn't require musical instruments and, you know, harmoniums and guitars. You just chant. And, and when you do that, your mind gets engaged in this and you're chanting the name of God. And the next thing you know, you become very calm and peaceful and then you let that go and then rest in the silence. But what I see from Kirtan is two hours of, you know, chanting and emotion and up and then we're all really wired and feeling really high and really great. And then we go out and have some coffee or some, you know, go have a chai and, um, or a cappuccino and um, and hang out and talk about how wonderful it is because we all feel so good, you know. It's just like we all sat around and had some kind of drug and now, and now we're all high, so we hang out together. But this is not going to help consciousness. This doesn't help us wake up. This is, this, this is a thing in and of itself. And so Roy says in his list of other gods, he has ecstatic states we can be attached to having these ecstasies 
and there is no nothing wrong with feeling good it's just when that becomes the reason that we're doing what we're doing it's just in order to get back into that state of being high we're missing the point again we have to go beyond that we have to go deeper we have to go you know allow ourselves to be really fully awake conscious mindful and when we're really conscious and mindful sometimes we feel ecstatic great wonderful sometimes we feel like chanting you know but we want to make sure that we've, we we go to the real uh to the real source we want to go to the real thing first uh roy used to tell the story about about the man who was invited to come and see the king and so and he was a peasant you know in the kingdom and this was really a special occasion and to be invited to see the king and so he came to the to the castle and he was admitted into the castle grounds and he came early because he didn't want to be late for his appointment and so they brought him into the garden and when he was in the garden in the castle it was so remarkable he'd never seen flowers like this it was, everything was so beautiful and fountains and and he was wandering in the garden just so dazzled with the whole thing and he he lost track of time and he and he when he finally realized that the time he was just had passed the time that he was supposed to be there to see the king you know oh my goodness and so he left the garden and went back around to the to the entrance and and the, the fellow said i'm sorry you missed your appointment you know the, the king has moved on to the next meeting and so you know you'll have to sorry you know you you missed it and so um, and so Roy would say, you know, if the fellow had just paid attention and made his appointment, kept his appointment with the king, showed up on time, then he probably would have had access to the palace grounds anytime. But he missed his appointment. He was dazzled and, and distracted by all the things that were going on around, and he missed the appointment. And so we don't want to miss our appointment with God. We don't want to miss our appointment with the opportunity to meet and to experience and to realize our own higher self. That's important. See? And once we have that, then we can wander in the garden. We can have all the other things, whatever we need. If we need to, if we need things, substance, money, it will come. We will be naturally led to be able to acquire that out of consciousness you know these things will come harmoniously naturally and so so this is the idea our we want we want our attention to be flowing to to ultimate reality to higher consciousness and not to be distracted and and taken off course by one of these lesser things and then uh, krishna goes on but whatever the form of reverence, whatever God a sincere devotee chooses to worship, I grant him or her an unswerving faith. So no matter what it is that we choose to put our attention on, whatever we choose to make important, we have, the, we have this innate uh, intention, this innate faith that allows us to continue and to pursue that. Empowered by his faith, that man earnestly seeks God's favor and obtains the things he desires. 
because I myself have ordained it. Empowered by his, so, so higher consciousness is saying, whatever we're paying attention to, whatever is our God, it, it allows us to have faith and to be constantly focused on that. Empowered by our faith, that man earnestly seeks that God's favor, seeks the money, the fame, health, healing, and obtains the things he desires because I myself, higher consciousness, has ordained it. So this is a kind of a way of talking around creative imagination. What we're paying attention to, what we can imagine and feel, and if we're thinking about it all the time, this really kind of obsesses us, then this creates this resonance that creates this manifestation, that allows this manifestation, this expression to happen. So, so higher consciousness here is saying, you know, if whatever you're paying attention to, you're going to get more of. It's going to be realized. That is, you're going to make it real by your energy, your contribution, your consciousness, your life force. And then he goes on and says, but fleeting is the reward that men of small minds are given. They will go to the gods they worship, but my worshipers come to me. So we attract whatever we pay attention to, we attract to ourselves, whatever this reality. And so the individuals that are involved with spirit guides and, and you know, beings from other planets and these things, they think about this all the time. They become obsessed by it and it begins to form, inform their reality. So I don't know, and I don't know if any of you are uh, going out at midnight and watching for the Space Brothers to land, but I know people that do. And, and when you talk to them, I mean, I know people that are intelligent, very well educated, very successful, uh, very competent, and you talk to them and all of a sudden, the, you know, the topic comes up to, you know, alien visitations and, you know, extraterrestrials. And, um, and pretty soon I'm sitting there and I, I'm, I'm thinking, what happened? I, I don't even know where I am anymore. This conversation has gone into something that's very strange, you know, and, but sincere, so if we, you know, we, we go to whatever we become obsessed by and it dominates our awareness and becomes part of our reality and whether it's the, you know, the space brothers or whether it's uh, how we get more money or fame or fortune or whatever it is, it's, this becomes our reality. We get this and, and uh, Krishna higher consciousness says they go to the gods they worship. We get what we are paying attention to. We get, um, uh, we get what we attract that to which we give our attention is what Mr. Davis says. But my worshipers, higher consciousness, my worshipers come to me. Although I am unmanifest, fools think that I have a form, unaware of my higher existence, which is permanent and supreme. So, Fools, that is uh, ignorant, that is uninformed individuals think that this higher consciousness that God has a form, has a personality, has a, has a character, 
somebody that we can talk to, somebody that we can uh, interact with, and someone who is, you know, either helping or punishing. They're unaware of my higher existence, which is permanent and supreme. Veiled in my mystery and power, I am not perceived by most people. Their deluded minds cannot see me, the unborn, the changeless, the undying. So as long as we're feeling, have a sense of limitation, this ego, as long as we are uh, seeing everything as being separate from ourself and ourself as the effect of whatever happens to be going around, going on around us, then we don't see. We don't see that this ultimate reality is expressing as everything. There's nothing outside. It's all us, you see. Unborn, changeless, undying. I, higher consciousness, I know all beings who have passed and all who live now, Arjuna, and all who are yet to be. But I am beyond all knowing. We cannot know. There's no concept. There's no idea that can point to this. This is something we have to realize. We have to experience for ourselves. All beings are born to ignorance, ruled by aversion and craving. Attachment and aversion. This Arjuna is the primal duality that keeps them bound. All beings are born to ignorance, ruled by aversion and craving. This Arjuna is the primal duality that keeps them bound. So, okay, so we know what the binding is, attachment and aversion. And so we know what to do to break that is to get rid of the attachments and aversions. So he says, but when a man is released from dualities, he can act purely Without attachment, he can serve me with all of his heart, serve higher consciousness, serve the universe, serve this reality with all of his heart. Those who take refuge in me, striving for release from old age and death, know absolute freedom and the self, with a capital S, and the nature of action. Those who take refuge in me, striving for release from old age and death, know absolute freedom and the self and the nature of action. Those who know me and the nature of beings, of gods, and of worship are always with me in spirit, even at the hour of their death. Always with me. Those who know uh, know the nature of beings, of gods, and of worship are always with me, even at the moment of death. And of course, this is this is what we aspire to, is to be fully awake, uh, and of course, fully awake before the moment of death. And, you know, um, they tell me that, breath, that death is only a breath away. So we never know when that expiration date comes up when the little red button pops up back here and it's time to go you don't know you know so so best that we get on with the program now that we be fully awake as soon as possible because life will be better from here on out and if it is our last day which it could be 
you know, we never know. I wake up every morning, I'm, I'm reminded of the, um, of what Vimal Ananda said, and you know, he would say every morning, um, if this is my last day, I'm gonna make it a good one. If this is the day that I'm to pass, I always wake up and say, thank you. Thank you for, you know, I'm awake again, have another day, and this is a blessing. And in the same way, if it's my last day, it's going to be a, a good day. I'm going to make it a good day. So, so we want to live all the time, be alive, be mindful, be conscious, be a, paying attention to, appreciating the fact that we are alive and that we can do what we're doing and that we can do it uh, more efficiently, more consciously, um, more in a way that's much more fulfilling so we're happy and joyful and content all the time if we're conscious and we can do that and so this is what what uh what mr davis would encourage us again and again in so many beautiful ways to do is to just sit be quiet allow your mind to get to become still rest in the silence and realize your nature and then from that realization go out and live efficiently and effectively have a good life be happy and we can do that so that's all i have for today and that's all I krishna has for this chapter so we'll continue on with uh chapter eight absolute freedom tomorrow and see where we what we're inspired by from there. So any questions? So remember today, Krishna's birthday, light a candle, uh, offer a little, you know, a little prasad. You know, we, we have, if you have a little off uh, altar, you can have something sweet, put a flower, some fruit, something sweet on the altar, offer it to higher consciousness to the sustaining nurturing aspect of consciousness and then say a little prayer and then it's been consecrated and now that it's been offered and consecrated then you can consume that you can you can eat that prasad and become blessed by it so so this can be a fun little ritual and namaste